All right, if you will, turn your Bibles with me to Hebrews chapter 6. We'll finish out the chapter today. And um, I did. this is actually part two of a message that I pre- preached a few weeks ago. I was going to preach this message um, the last time, but the youth got to sharing, and man, they took off with it, and it was great. I wasn't about to stop it, so... Uh, we, we continued it until next time. And so this is the next time. So let's finish out chapter six today. We'll be looking at verses 13 through, through 20, primarily though, uh, roughly 17, uh, 16, 17, uh, 18, 19, and 20. And, uh, finishing up that message that we preached, uh, that I preached a few weeks ago. So if you would stand to your feet for the reading and the hearing of God's word. We're going to read verses 13 through 20 of Hebrews chapter 6. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes an oath is final for confirmation. So, when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath, so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hopes set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. You may be seated. May God bless the reading and the hearing of his word. Now next week, uh, in well in the coming weeks, we're going to really get into Melchizedek, which I've had maybe over the years preaching that might have been, my, that I'm sure it is one of the most often asked questions that I get. You know, who was Melchizedek? Uh, do you think he was Jesus? Uh, where did he come from? Where, where is he found? Where did he go? What happened? And so there's not a ton of information on Melchizedek in the Bible, uh, but there's a fair amount. You just have to dig for it, and uh, you have to have some help. Uh, from some commentators and things like that, but there's some there, and I, I have an opinion on it. Uh, I don't I, I don't die on that hill because there's such lim- limited information. Uh, but we'll touch on that a little bit more next week. We'll we'll kind of glance through that today because it's mentioned here in the text. But we want to focus on something a little bit different today. We're finishing up part two of a sermon that I started before, and that sermon was entitled "The Only True Guarantee." The only true guarantee. And, uh, you know, you, all of you are aware of what a guarantee is, I'm pretty sure. So we all like to buy things that are guaranteed, don't we? It makes me feel good. And if you've ever seen the movie Tommy Boy, I think every time I see the word guarantee, I think Tommy Boy. Because if you remember the movie, if you've seen it, um, he was trying to take over his father's business. His father was a great salesman. He had built uh, a great, successful business, Callahan's Brake Pads. and uh, His dad could sell anything to anybody. 
And uh, Tommy was trying to take over the business. He wasn't doing very well. And uh, he had the hardest time with that sales pitch, that line about guarantees. And I won't even go there. But let it be said that the whole point was is that anybody can say, I guarantee it. But the guarantee is only as good as the one who is guaranteeing it and as uh, sure as the backer, the anchor, the funder, whatever you want to say, the one who is backing up the guarantee. That's, all, that's as good as the guarantee is. He said, I can slap a label on a box of uh, feces and call it a guarantee, call it good, and, you know, that's what you've got. You've got a guaranteed piece of poop, okay? At the end of the day, the guarantee is only as good as the one who is guaranteeing it. Does that make sense? This is what this is about. Now, there's some, there's some things in here that I think we can just kind of pull on the threads of this context a little bit, and we can see some pretty cool things, and that's what I'm going to attempt to do today. But this is part two of the only true guarantee. And when I titled this message that, I really do mean it, that I believe that Jesus Christ actually is the only true and absolute 100% guarantee. Okay? Everything else is going to at least possibly fail. We can get some good guarantees in our world. You know, we can, if I have a, a brother or if I have a company that I do business with, or if I'm buying a product and they've got a great track record. You know, when you look on, if you're buying something online or whatever, you want to look and see their track record, right? How many reviews do they have? What type of feedback do they have from their customers? Do they always make it right when something goes wrong? Whatever it might be. And so we can, we can have more sure guarantees and less sure guarantees, but there exists no 100% dead level every time, no matter what, guarantees. Because we're all human, and we're all susceptible for, to, for something to happen. Something could happen. With Christ, it is the only true guarantee. So let's kind of pull, pull at the text a little bit and kind of see uh, what we're getting into here. So we'll start out in verses 13 through 16. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. Now, when we look at this text right here, we already talked a little bit about, about the promise. We've already talked a little bit about God swearing by himself. And we kind of uh, talked about the fact that when he says, he swore by himself. He doesn't, just, he doesn't mean that he swore when he was alone. It means that he put himself on the line as the guarantor, as the anchor point, as that, that steadfast surety of what he was saying. There's a little bit of an echo feedback right here. I'm not sure I'm hearing it, uh, what I'm hearing. But anyway, if you could help. This him swearing by himself is him actually saying, you ever... When you were younger, maybe you've had to sign for somebody. You ever had to co-sign for a loan or have somebody co-sign with you for a loan? That person is the guarantor. What that's saying is, is that so if you have a child who wants to go get their first car, oftentimes you're going to go to the dealership. You're going to pick out the car. The car is X amount of dollars. Your child has no credit. He has no reviews, right? He has no track record. 
And so the person selling the car, they're like, I don't know. He may not pay me. It's not guaranteed that this kid's going to pay me, and I don't want to risk it. So in order to begin credit and establish credit, in order to get that first loan or car or whatever it is, oftentimes they will take the risk as long as you, if you have pretty good credit, if you have a good track record, if you will come alongside of them and back them up, and you'll say, I'll co-sign and be the guarantor of that lease, of that contract, and if what you're saying is, if they don't pay it, I'm going to pay it. You're the guarantee. And this is what's being said. Whereas if I take Titus to get his first car, they won't sell to him. I'll come. I'll be the guarantor. Basically, I'll swear, or he'll actually swear by me. And I'll put my name on it, and I'll say, I'll pay that if he doesn't. God says, I want you to be sure about the promises and about the things that I've said I'm going to do. I want you to be sure about that. And so... In order to give you surety, in order to give you assurance, I'm going to swear by the highest thing that exists. And that's what the text says. When God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater. Whoop! How does that happen? You got me? I don't know. Since he had no one greater, he swore by whom to swear? He swore by himself. He said, I will make sure. I'm the guarantor. You can trust it because I never fail. And we're going to get the conditions of that guarantee here in just a moment. When you read in the small print of whatever it might be, you ever seen that? You buy a product that says 100% guaranteed. And then you've got two little asterisks down below. And it says, itty bitty, those little bitty words. And you start reading, it's like, guaranteed if you buy it before midnight. And if it's not on a Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, or Friday. And also if you do not live in South Carolina, North Carolina, Georgia. And you read this, yeah, it's guaranteed with a whole bunch of conditions. It's guaranteed unless this, unless that. As a matter of fact, the guarantee is not worth a whole lot because the one saying that they guarantee it can't be trusted. Because the only reason they put that guarantee on that box was to sell it to you. And to, and to what did Tommy Boy say? To make you warm and fuzzy. Oh, the guarantee. Oh, guarantee. Remember what he said? Guarantee, guarantee fairy. Just coming in. You're good. God says, no. When I say it, I do it. There's no higher thing. There's no higher person. There's no higher being by whom I could swear. So he swore by himself saying surely I will bless you and multiply you and thus Abraham having patiently waited and, and these are just things that just popped out to me and I just want to touch on as I go he having patiently waited man you know how often do we want it right now so God's like I guarantee that this is going to be better than you could possibly imagine I guarantee you that the life that I'm offering makes all other life look like death. You know, because it is. I guarantee you, I am giving, God Almighty says, I am giving you my word. He's saying this to Abraham, but the promise runs downhill and is given to, promised to, uh, 
We are given the right to become children of God because we have become children of Abraham through the promise that was through Christ. See, Christ, and we have to go to Galatians for this, but just to give it to you in a nutshell, Christ is the promised seed of Abraham. You see, in the Old Testament, God spoke to Abraham and he said, I will bless you and I will multiply you and I will will do this through your seed. Galatians tells us that that seed, and it makes it plain, he's not talking about Israel, he's talking about seed uh, an individual, not plural, but singular seed. And that seed is explicitly named in Galatians as Jesus Christ. And anybody who comes to faith in Jesus Christ is born again as the seed of Abraham by grace through faith. Children of the promise, thank you, Titus. Good young man right there. So we are children of God. Those who come to Christ, Jesus Christ is the promised seed of Abraham. So this promise right here is to Jesus Christ and all those who come through Jesus Christ because those are the children of the promise, okay? Now, bunches of Israelites were children of the promise. Bunches of them, bunches of them wasn't. That's good, thanks. Okay, so he says this promise is coming this is what I wanted to point out. I got sidetracked a little bit. Having patiently waited, obtained the promise. You see, I read the story of Abraham, and I'm like, having patiently waited? Now, Abraham was like trying to, let his, trying to let this king sleep with his wife because he wasn't sure. Then he slept with his wife's handmaiden and like took her on as a side wife and had his first kid through her because he wasn't sure that God was going to make the deal go through like Abraham wasn't trusting the guarantee you know he's like Sarah it was really Sarah it's always the woman right it wasn't me hey Brandy it wasn't me I just read the Bible okay I mean the whole thing fell apart because of the woman right no, no, no. If you know my theology, you know that it was Adam's failure to lead and protect and to, to stand up for his wife. So I'm just kidding about that. It was the man who made... Anyway, here's the deal. Abraham, to me, I'm looking at it going, he didn't really patiently wait because he was like trying to jump the gun and, and force God along because he didn't trust the guarantee. But the Bible says that and thus, Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained a promise. But I guess if we zoom out, see, I want to point out two things right here. And this just hit me, so I'm just going to share it to you off the cuff here. Is that number one, we all, we're always in a hurry. We're always in a hurry to bring about, the. and here's the other thing. We're always in a hurry to bring about what we think God's promise is, is, should look like in our lives. Right? Isn't that true? So that's where the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel came from, right? We read the Bible. We have ideas about what would be cool, you know? When you think about life, you're like, live your best life now. Well, who, who gets to decide what your best life would be, right? Do you get to decide what your best life would be? We're shaking our heads no, but inside we're going, yeah. Because that's where, that's, that is where all of our mistrust comes from. That is where all of our frustration with God comes from, right? Because God, and, and see, God never fails. So whatever happened, 
it has to be part of the divine will of God, whether by his permissive will or his active will. God never fails. There's never been a thing that happened, and God was like, man, I didn't see that coming. No, God's in complete control. And you rightfully respond to that and say, well, then why is my life a mess? If God is in control, why would he do this to me? And then we just turn that right back around and say, just slow your roll a little bit. Get out of your emotions. Think logically. This is the facts, is that God created you with a will. He has called you to live in a certain way according to a certain standard. He has given you instructions on how the ideal life should look. Walking in Christ, walking by the Spirit, loving God, putting, putting Him first, and then you step outside of that, get hit by a train. It's, God's like, hey, don't walk on the train tracks because trains come and they kill people and they hurt people really bad. And then you're walking beside the tracks like, cool, God, I'm, in, I'm not on the tracks. I'm doing what you said. You step over in the train track, bam! And you're like, God, why'd you do this to me? God's like, I told you not to walk on the tracks. You say, well, I, th I thought that you said that God was in control of everything. Yeah, God is. That's why he let you step over on the track, and he knew he was going to do it, so he must have known that you needed to get hit by that train to slow you down because he was walking in the opposite direction. He needed to get you on the other side of the track, turn you around, and go the other way. We can't even ever understand it, but it's not for us to understand. His thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our ways, right? God's doing what God... So should you be the one to decide what your life should look like? We need to be studying the word. We need to be seeking God's will. Sometimes we get it right. Sometimes we don't. At the end of the day, we just got to trust that God knows what he's doing. And we've got to commit to him, pursue him, seek after the Holy Spirit, put one foot in front of the other as we follow the Holy Spirit and see where he leads. And when the rains come and the storms come and the, they pound on that house and the floods rise, it won't be moved if it's built on the solid rock. In the grand scheme of things, though, Abraham kept pushing forward. You see, we're not very patient, and we have our own ideas of how things should go. But we're oftentimes wrong because we're so just in the moment. We're such finite creatures. We can't see the big picture. But in the grand scheme of things, Abraham seemingly just kept putting one foot in front of the other. And the whole time, now this is just me reading the Old Testament and just kind of gathering the whole time it seems to me that all abraham is doing is like he's got this path right that got, can i walk down here without doing the bill and ted's excellent adventures again guys it's, it seems to me that god's like got this path over here right and god's like abraham this is what this is where i want you to go and abraham's like cool god i'm gonna go that way and he's obedient god sets abraham apart right so abraham starts walking but Abraham is a man. And so Abraham continually tries to, here, Titus, you want to help me this time? You wouldn't help me last time I was preaching. I'm just kidding. All right, so to, just to illustrate a little bit, how many of you remember what my teaching on God's will and how oftentimes we're, man, we, you can't hardly get out of bed in the morning if you think about this too much because if God's will, and oftentimes it's taught this way is why I've touched on it, if God's will is an exact line, and you've got to do that line, then you blew that long ago. And how in the world are you ever going to find that line again? Out of all the 13 billion lines you've drawn since then, you're like, which one, which one was it? You know, you have no idea. So I don't believe God's will works like that. 
I believe that God's will is more like a bubble. And as long as we stay within God's will, and consider the bubble, the thing around the, the bubble, if he had a bubble around him, that, that would be the word of God, right? And as long as you're living within the word of God, you're walking in the spirit, then you've got plenty of choices that you can make and still be in the will of God. As a matter of fact, you're always in the will of God because you can't get out. It's just what aspect of the will of God are you in? But bottom line is, is that if you're a child of God, if you're one of the elect, if you're born again truly, if you know God, you're part of the family, God protects you. And this is actually, uh, I just thought about this, but this would be a pretty good illustration because Titus is my son. He's part of my family, right? And my authority over him, my teaching, my training, hopefully we'll go with him for years and it will be an anchor now we've talked about it as a circle right but it could also be thought of as a central anchor point which every circle has one right and so you have that point in the middle of the circle and the diameter is decided by that anchor point that whatever that point is it can't go outside of that so that's as far as you can go and still be okay does that make sense to everybody so far does that make sense this is yes, this is no, this is like, I don't, I'm lost. All right, so I'm going to get you belt right here. So, okay, Titus, I've told Titus, hey, walk this path right here, Titus. And Titus, he wants to obey. I think Abraham was born again. I think, you know, he, I know that the Bible tells us that uh, Abraham uh, longed to see my day. He saw it and was glad. If, if Abraham had salvation, it was in Jesus Christ. We know that his faith was credited as righteousness. So, you can't get righteousness except the righteousness of Jesus Christ. So the salvation that Abraham was, was looking forward to Christ. Now our salvation looks back to Christ. So we're debited righteousness out of the account that Jesus Christ has established. Abraham was crediting. He was, he was pulling from what would be established later. He was, he, was, he was saved on a Jesus credit card. We're saved on a Jesus debit card. Does that make sense to everybody? Now, Abraham was a child of God, but just like us, he kind of got out of line sometimes. But he was a child of God, and God protected him. So when he tried to tell his wife, I, I, look, sleep, sleep with the king because we don't want him to kill us. And his wife was like, uh, okay. And God had to come and straighten the king out who wasn't even a believer. And he's like, look, if you do this, I'm going to kill you because that's my man's wife. And the king came back to Abraham and was like, why'd you set me up? <laughs> You told me to sleep with her because she was your sister and it's your wife. God was going to kill me and he stopped me. What are you doing? So, so you see, God kept bringing him back in. God kept bringing him. Okay, Titus, I've told you to walk this line right here, but what you're going to do every time you get to one of these lines, you're either going to pick that way or you're going to pick that way, okay? That way or that way, that way. But the goal is we're going to touch that black pad, the sound booth back there, and that's the way. Ready? Oh, just whatever. Come on, put a little effort into it. You sin a lot harder than that. I know I'm your dad. <laughs> no, get back over here. I love you too much for that. <laughs> and see, look, Mark is an alligator. Mark, can you be an alligator for me? All right, all right. Go towards the alligator. No! <sighs> you see, God, he walks with us. Hey, give Titus a hand. I, I embarrass him all the time. Way to go, baby. Good game. This is God. Have you ever noticed this in your life? Come on, guys. Come on. This is me and you here. You ever noticed this in your life? You know, that moment where you were like, you were about to do something really stupid, and somehow God stopped you. You know, you maybe you're going to go somewhere, and 
get drunk, you go out, turn the key, car doesn't work, whatever. Or you fall into the alligator's mouth. And somehow God pulls you back out of it. And you're still alive. <laughs> Most people don't live. But this God's like, I got you. I, it's God. Having patiently waited, having not died, maybe <laughs> would be a better translation, he obtained the promise. Now, the promise was what? In the immediate context of uh, the promise in the Old Testament was that it would go well with you in a land, that you've got a land that you're going to. Did he, ever, did he ever get it that way physically? He never was establishing the land. We'll see that later on in Hebrews too. What was the promise? The promise was life. And he got that life. Although it didn't look like he thought it was going to look. For people swear by something greater than themselves you see if you're trying to be the guarantor of your own life if you're trying to be the base of the guarantee of your own life it just can't work right think about it this way to be very very practical you go back to the loan situation you know titus goes for that loan and and the people are like look you don't have credit you don't have a track record don't know if i can trust you i can't give you the car and titus is like or let's use somebody else let's use amory amory's like i can't pay for the car and they're like, no, you can't. You're a little girl. She's like, no, I promise I can. They're like, no, you can't. She's like, I'm going to be my own guarantee. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be the one to guarantee it. I don't care how many times you say that. You can't guarantee it. You're just a little girl. But then when daddy comes and says, hey, I got this. And they're like, oh, Dustin Drake. Yes, sir, Mr. Drake. Here's the keys. Would you like for me to pull it around for you? We just topped it off. You see, because... The guarantee is in the substantial nature of the one who says, I got that. I got that. So they swear great by themselves. And in all their disputes and oaths, an oath is final for confirmation. Anybody think about divorce or marriage and divorce, separation? Anybody think about marriage when I'm reading this? You see, a lot of people don't think about it like that anymore. You say, we call them vows. Vows are just oaths. A vow is a guarantee. That's why you better be sure to pick the right guarantor, the right husband, the right wife. How, how sure are you that they will stay, that they will be true, that they will not leave, that they will fill in the blank, that they will be committed now? Sometimes you can be sure, you can be wrong. Sometimes you can be unsure, you can be wrong. At the end of the day, the best way to test it is do you believe that they truly know Christ? For you young people out there, you got boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever, do you believe that they truly know Christ? Because the one who is holding them up is the one who is going to hold them up. The one who is holding them true is going to be the one that holds them true. And if they are not serious about their faith, if they don't truly know Christ, if they're not truly born again, then they're prone to wander without that guarding hand, those guardrails bringing them back in. Anyway, that's just a side note here. But in all their disputes and oaths, an oath is final for confirmation. So this is kind of another. So you have uh, someone who says, you owe me this, you owe me that, you owe me this, you owe me that. A man's word, a man's oath. You know, you've heard the saying, a man's word is all that he's got. That's that oath. That's that oath. What, what, how powerful is your oath? How steadfast? How sure? How much can it be trusted? Well, we're going to, 
we're going to dive now into the meat of, the conditions of, the, uh, the, uh, the ins and outs, the specifics, the mechanics of this guarantee that God has given. Now remember, he's talking about the, the promise that he gave to Abraham, but that comes vicariously. It runs downhill. It comes through Abraham, which is really just a demonstration, a foreshadowing of Christ. That Christ, as I told you, is the promised seed of Abraham. He's the one that these promises are to because the promises are true regardless. But all of the, we got to, I don't have time for this, but just to kind of give you a taste, we have different covenants in the Bible. A lot of people don't understand this, and there's different views on this. I'm not telling you that you have to take my view, but I'll just tell you what my view is. And I believe that the covenants are distinct and different. Now, a more strictly reformed view would say that there's one covenant of grace under two administrations, and that they would say that the Mosaic covenant, the Abrahamic covenant, the new covenant are all the same covenant, just in different administrations, and they look differently. That's not what I believe. That's not how I see it. How I see it is, is that there are distinct covenants, and these covenants serve different purposes okay now we have several different covenants in the bible we have the abrahamic covenant we have the davidic covenant we have the mosaic covenant we have the abrahamic covenant we have the new covenant you may not have known all of that okay at the end of the day the ones we're concerned with right now is the abrahamic covenant the mosaic covenant and the new covenant okay and what the way that i understand this is is that the abrahamic covenant is a covenant of faith the Mosaic Covenant is a covenant of work, and the, the New Covenant is a covenant of grace, okay? So the way it works is, is that God, is, the first one is a covenant of faith or a covenant of promise, that God promised Abraham that he would bless him, okay? Just follow along with me for a second. You can look it up later. Come ask me questions. We can argue about it, whatever you want to do. He promised Abraham that he would make him into a great nation that all uh, his seed would be blessed. He promised him these things. They, they were promises to Abraham and his seed. Very important. His seed. It's very specific. Then we have the Mosaic Covenant. And the, oh, the Abrahamic Covenant was an uh, unconditional covenant. If you go back and read all of that with the melting pot and everything, Abraham, he put Abraham to sleep. A Abraham wasn't even... He wasn't making vows. It was God promising Abraham that he was going to do this thing. Abraham, it was not conditional. It wasn't like, if you do this, 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 and this, now, you know, we'll be good. But if you don't, man, no, none of that. It's just, you will. I will bless through you. The Mosaic Covenant comes, so you progress to the Old Testament. The Mosaic Covenant comes. This is a distinct covenant, in my understanding, in my view, whereas the Mosaic Covenant is a covenant of works. It is a conditional covenant where God covenanted with Moses and the people of Israel that if they would obey him and walk in his ways and obey his every statute, he would be their God and they would be his people, right? That he would bless them. These are two distinct covenants. The Abrahamic covenant is a covenant of promise, a covenant of faith. It's a covenant that God will do these things. The Mosaic covenant is a covenant of works. It is God will do these things if you do these things, okay? The, the Mosaic covenant does not ratify, change, or make void the previous covenant of promise made to Abraham. It does not in any way, shape, form, or fashion. 
Therefore, the Abrahamic covenant, are y'all getting this or am I just talking, okay? The Abraham, those who are under the Abrahamic covenant, they come through the Mosaic covenant as well. There are many members of the Abrahamic covenant that are part of the promised seed of Abraham. But remember, the physical nation of Israel is not necessarily seen as the spiritual children and seed of Abraham. We know that through the New Testament teachings that I can't really get into right now. But the bottom line is that the Bible teaches us in several places, mainly Romans and in Galatians, that all people are not children of Abraham, and not all Jews are children of Abraham, and not all Gentiles are not all Gentiles are unable to be part of uh, the seed of Abraham. It is by faith that we are children of Abraham. Faith in who? The one promised seed of Abraham. So. Whether or not you are an Israelite or a Gentile, the way that you, you become a child of Abraham, one of the promised seeds, one of the promised descendants, is by faith in God, by faith in Christ. So you had some Israelites who actually had true faith in God, and they were a part of the Abrahamic covenant and part of the Noah. I mean, uh, the Mo there is a Noahic covenant too, but part of the Abrahamic covenant and the Mosaic covenant at the same time. Now, here's the cool thing, and I did not plan any of this, so we're just running with it. Are we good? Those who were a part of the Abrahamic covenant, and they, pre-Christ, were in the family of God, part of the promised seed of Abraham, not by bloodline descent at all. No. Now, is there something to be gained by that? Yeah, they had the law. They had, the, they had all of this demonstration. It was wonderful. But... Being born through the, the bloodline, ethnic, ethnic Israel, through what came out of, of Abraham and Jacob and, and all of that, was that what made them one of the promised seeds? No. What made them one of the promised seeds? Faith. They were part of that covenant by faith and by promise. Now, those who were Israelites were also part of the Mosaic Covenant where God made the covenant with Moses that if you would live according to my statutes and my commands, I will bless you and I will be your God and you will be my people. If you don't, I will kill you, right? If you don't, then you will die. It will go horribly wrong with you. You had some true children of God, part of the promise seed, because they had come to faith in God, and they were born again pre-Christ on a Jesus credit card. Like Abraham, those true Israelites, true Israel, born again by grace through faith, were looking forward to what Jesus would do, and it was Jesus' payment of sin and his perfect obedience that was credited back to their account because they believed in God, that they were walking according to God, right? They failed in the Mosaic Covenant because, did you realize, no one could keep the Mosaic Covenant, which is where we find ourselves. You say, why did God even have the Mosaic Covenant? The Mosaic, great question, I'm glad you asked. The Mosaic Covenant was given to the people of Israel to demonstrate the absolute 100% bottom line, no take backs. Everybody necessarily has to have a Savior. Why? Because no one can meet the, the, the 
specifications, and no one could meet the requirements. No one could meet the demands of the Mosaic Covenant. And the bottom line is, if you break one of the very smallest, minute laws, you've broken them all. And everybody breaks his law. That's the whole point. Abrahamic covenant, God says, I will bless you and I will multiply you and I will make your descendants as sand on the seashore. I will bless your seed. He tells David, your descendant will sit on the throne forever. Who? Which son? Solomon? No. Which one? He's coming later. He's coming later. Jesus Christ is the line of the tribe of Judah. He's the Davidic king that sits on the throne forever. He's the promised seed of Abraham, whose descendants are as numerous as the stars in the sky. Jesus Christ is the lamb that was slain before the foundations of the world. Jesus Christ is the one who uh, Abraham pointed to when he raised up the blade to take his son's life. And the Lord yelled, wait! And there was a ram in the bushes. That was Jesus on the scene demonstrating just exactly who he would be and what he would do. Jesus Christ is the one, the only, the true guarantee that anybody who puts their faith and trust in him would never perish but have everlasting life. Jesus Christ is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You see, Jesus Christ is the guarantee. God gave the, uh, all of them, Edemic, Noahic, the Abrahamic, the Mosaic, the, all, all of them, all the, all the covenants were pointing to Christ, 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 Christ. And you see the Mosaic covenant come, and it's the last covenant before we get into the new covenant, which is what it, uh, uh, Hebrews is addressing. There's a lot of contention on this place. And let me tell you, I've had a lot of people come at me hard. I will say this, and I will admit, I'm in a minority in my view that I just told you. Most people do not believe that way. Most theologians. Most theologians are either reformed, one covenant of grace, different administrations, or they're more of a dispensational, bunches of different covenants. So it's continuity and discontinuity. I know that's, that's a little bit out there. Maybe we can talk about it one day a little bit further, but I am in the minority, and I will own that. But I am in good company. John Piper, this is called New Covenant Theology. John Piper. Charles Leiter, uh, Kim Riddlebogger, the lots of good, lots of goods. If you want more, so Sam Storms, all, all these guys, this is called New Covenant Theology. It's the way I understand it. Now, you have the Abrahamic Covenant, Covenant of Promise. You have the Mosaic Covenant, Covenant of Works, a conditional covenant that says you've got to do it this way or you'll die. If you do it this way, then you'll live you got Jesus Christ, who is the promised seed of Abraham, who is the line of the tribe of Judah, who is the Davidic king, who is everything promised of the Old Testament coming and living. You see, Jesus is true Israel. Every, now, this is, this is important. Listen to me. Abrahamic covenant comes. God promises that life would abound. Mosaic Covenant comes and says, if you do this, you will live. And the conditions of the do this were impossible to do. Everybody failed. Jesus Christ shows up on the scene as the administrator of a new covenant. We're going to see this very plain. 
that Jesus, it says the, the promises of Christ are built on better promises because he brings a better covenant. Those who tell me that this is the same covenant, different administrations, I say, how do you explain to me the book of Hebrews? Because the book of Hebrews tells me that Jesus Christ's covenant is a new and better covenant built on better promises, a better guarantee. That the, that, that covenant of old is, is, that's, that's exactly what it is. It's old, it's growing old, it's, it's fading away, and it's becoming obsolete. Does that mean that the Mosaic Covenant is not important? No. But it means that when the new comes, the old is no longer needed for what it was expressly needed for. Now we look back and we learn about Christ. Jesus Christ met every single stipulation of the Mosaic Covenant. That's why. See, Jesus Christ is the center point of the Abrahamic covenant. He was the one the promise was made to, and he's the centerpiece of the Mosaic covenant and the only true Israelite that actually did everything that God said you had to do in order to be blessed, and that's why he was blessed. You see, we think about the sacrifice of Christ being a propitiatory atonement, saying that he just paid for our sins, and that's right. God, Jesus Christ propitiated. He paid the debt. He took the wrath for our sins. That's right. But what we need to understand too is, and I know this is theology, and I know you're like, what is he talking about? But just listen to me for a second. Those of you, even my believers in the room, listen to me for a second. Let me give you a glorious truth to my believers in the room. Jesus Christ didn't just die for your sin. He lived for your blessing. You say, what? Okay. Jesus Christ died on the cross in order to pay and take the wrath that you should have lived, right? That you should have gotten. He died the death that you should have died. But he also lived the life that you should have lived. This is called, and, and a lot, not everybody agrees with this either, but I hold to this doctrine. It's called active obedience, meaning that when we come to know the Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit lives inside of us and we are made new, we're born again and Christ takes up residence inside of us and we are clothed in Jesus Christ. I mean, all the text, right? He who drinks from this water will never thirst again. He who eats of this bread will never hunger again. He who trusts in me, he who walks uh, by the Spirit, you know, all of these things that Jesus Christ didn't just die to pay our sin debt. He died or he lived in order that we might be credited with and given his active obedience meaning that we walk on this earth and when when God looks at us after we're born again when the father looks at us not only does he look at us as if our sin debt has been paid and it's like okay well I don't have to kill him now follow me follow me not only is the father through Christ looking at you going well I'm glad I don't have to kill him now the active so that is the uh imparted righteousness okay so when so you're a sinner right and jesus christ dies on the cross to pay your sin debt you come to faith in him you get imparted you get given the righteousness of christ so when god the father looks at you he sees you as if you're righteous cleaned from all sin you don't have any speck of sin on you anymore know that people of god that when the father looks at you he sees no sin not even tomorrow not yesterday. He sees no sin. You say, I thought he saw everything. No, he chooses to cast it off. He sees no sin. He cannot hold it against you lest he break his word. But not only that, 
He doesn't just see you as if you had no sin. He doesn't just see you as if you had no sin. He sees you as if you have all the active obedience of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is as if you have obeyed every law since the beginning of time. Active obedience. You see, if Jesus Christ had failed at any point of the law, he could not have been the perfect, blemishless sacrifice that he was. He had to fulfill the law in order for that Mosaic covenant to be fulfilled. It's fulfilled in Christ. When God said, I will be your God and you will be my people if you obey my commandments. I will bless you and you will live long in the land and I will be your God and you will be my people. Nobody could ever look at God and say, all right, God, I did it. Jesus Christ did. He said, all right, I did it. And God killed him. Why? Why? Because somebody had to take your place. You see it? All the conditions. All the conditions. And the statement is, meet the conditions and you'll live. And every one of us in the room have failed to meet every condition. We should die. Jesus Christ met every condition, and he should have lived. But Jesus Christ, having met every condition, poured out his life unto death so that we, having broken every commandment and failed to reach every condition, might live. All of his righteousness given to us. All of our death and sin given to him. So that he might be the steadfast and sure guarantee. So when God desired to show more convincingly. When he wanted you to know. In Hebrew this is the only way that you can put an exclamation mark. There is no. There's no punctuation. It's just words. When God desired, did you know? I know, I know. Did you know that God, John, did you know that God, this is mind boggling to me, brother, that the God of the heavens who created the, the skin, like oh, it's on your pretty face. He, he said every eyelash, like, like he made you. But he made her, and he made the earth, and he holds it all together. Like right now, right now, God is in China making sure that gravity still exists while simultaneously thinking about you. You say, what, what do you, why do you say that? Because you see, God, he had this desire that God of the heavens has this desire. What is it? To show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise. Now, John, I'm not meaning to pick on you, but do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? You love him? You believe that he's Lord? You confess him as Lord and Savior? You believe that God raised him from the dead? The Bible says that, that, that you shall be saved, and you are saved. I already knew that. I'm just asking because... I want everybody else to know. You, then, you understand, then, and, and this man studies the scripture. I love to listen to his stuff. And 
love your passion, that he's an heir according to the promise. You know why? Because, I mean, really, like, you're a great guy, but, like, you've you got a lot of faults and failures like us all, right? But, but this guy's an heir of, of God. He's the heir according to the promise. Why? He didn't meet the conditions. No. Because he had faith in Jesus Christ who met the conditions in his place. He took the penalty and gave him all of the active righteousness and the active obedience that he needed to stand before God as if he was the one that actually completed everything that needed to be completed to be considered one of the children of God, right? But now it goes further. That God Almighty who created everything and, and got it into motion, that verse right there, John, it tells me and it tells you and every other believer in here, it says that God really wanted you to know that he's got your back and he won't let you down. That God in the heavens, he had a desire. And that desire was to really convince you that, you, that he will never turn and leave you. He will never forsake you. That he's got you. You. Isn't that crazy? That's crazy. And that's for everybody. It's, a, I mean, it's, it's for everybody in here too. Everybody that knows Christ, like God Almighty, is like, Courtney, I want you to really know. I want you to be sure about this. Brother, to the Bradford, I want you to, I want to convince you. God Almighty is like, what can I do to convince them? What can I do? And so to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise, the unchangeable character of his purpose. This goes back again to, it's not about your purposes. See, we live in a me too society. We live in a me, me, me society. We live in a my way society. So you might kind of start to slide in that area and you might start to think, man, that sounds awesome, Brian. You mean that God, like he's really wanting to, to do what I want done? No. God is really wanting to convince you that he is everything that you need and he will never let you down so he's trying to convince them uh the heirs of the promise the uh, about the unchangeable character of character of his purpose god's like i've what i've set out to do i'm gonna do it i am going to do it i god cannot fail he cannot fail when he wanted to show more convincingly he guaranteed it with an oath. Now, this is going to say, let me go ahead and read further because we're almost done. So that by two, this, this might throw you off if you're like me and I'm reading through and I'm like trying to check off, you know. So he guaranteed it with an oath so that by two unchangeable things. So you got two things, right? Two unchangeable things in which it, now to me and when I was first reading this years ago, in which it is impossible for God to lie, I'm going, number one. Did, you, did anybody else do that? And I was like, all right, where's number two? We who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. I'm like, hold on, where's number, wait, number two, God. And for the longest time, I was like, why did you leave us hanging on the number two? I read a few guys in it. And it dawned on me, I was like, oh, yeah, that's actually pretty simple when you see. What's the first thing? This isn't number one, by the way. That's it, that isn't number one. That, this is number two, actually. Does anybody already know what it is? Huh? Go ahead, spit it out. Yeah, which is what? So when God desired to show convincingly to the heirs of the promise 
the unchangeable character of his purpose. You're exactly right. He guaranteed it with an oath. So if you want to say it in one word, it's the oath. But she hit the nail on the head. The oath is that he can't. Oh, I'm sorry, I did that wrong. The oath is that it's the promise. So God made an oath, I will do this, right? So this is the positive. I'll just put a positive sign here. This is, this is a positive sign if you don't know. Looks like a cross, praise the Lord. Two, what's the second thing? It's impossible. Does that got two? No. Oh, you joker. Impossible to lie. You know who I'm talking about. All of y'all are liars. God. It's, it's the God that I'm a liar to. Everybody lies. It's impossible for God to lie. So the first is a positive, and this one is the negative. So he covers the whole spectrum. So positively, God says, the promise is sure, and you will be blessed through the promise I gave to Abraham, which comes, that's why I went through the whole covenant thing, is because the promises to Abraham, it comes from Abraham to Christ, Christ to anyone who believes in the Lord Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, and this is what we're going to see with Melchizedek too, and I'm about to wrap all this up, so if you want to come up, is that Jesus is, so we think in our minds a lot of times that Abraham comes, then Jesus comes, and then the promise is fulfilled. But actually, Jesus is before Abraham. I mean, obviously, he's eternal, but even even outside of that, Jesus Christ is the predecessor to Abraham, and Abraham is made looking at the example. Remember, and we'll see this in Hebrews a little bit later on, that the whole Old Testament system are types and shadows. It's a copy of the heavenly reality. Remember that in Hebrews chapter 8, the next uh, chapter, that all of the Old Testament things, the priests, the code, everything in the Old Testament is a copy of the heavenly reality. Jesus Christ is the heavenly reality come down, and the New Testament and all of us is the heavenly reality itself manifesting on the earth through the, uh, through the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So I know that's a, that's, a, that's a lot to take in, but the reason I say that is, is that Jesus Christ is the way that Abraham was blessed as well. And he's the, he's the baseline of that promise. So the first thing that shows us more convincingly is that God said that he promises to give life. The second thing is he can't lie. You see? God said he'll do it. It's impossible. Look at the words. He didn't just say he cannot do it. He said in which it is impossible for God to lie. It's not even a possibility that God would fail to stand good on his promise. Why? Because he just can't lie. And that's actually philosophically, biblically, theologically, that's true any way you slice it. Because what would God be if he ever lied? He wouldn't be God. So in order for God to be God, he can't tell a lie. It is impo it's literally impossible. So when God says he promises life, there is life, and it is sure. And that should, that should provide what? You can go ahead and play. Is that we who have fled, see, a lot of you are running. Do I need to move this back out of your way? 
You think I'm going to keep on going, don't you? Your fingers are going to get sore. No, I'm about done, I promise. I'll, I'll prove it. Everybody stand to your feet. I know I got half this left, but all of this is super practical, and I just want to encourage you with this. Let me ask this question based on the text. We who have fled, can, uh, can I ask this question? How many of you feel like you've been fleeing for a minute? Yeah, I get it, man. I, I get it. We who have fled, we who have fled, we're, we're running for what? Refuge. You know what refuge is? There was a city of refuge in the Old Testament. It's a really cool story. You should go take a look at it. Do you know what the city of ref- refuge was for? Anybody? Real quick. Huh? Murderers, sinners, rapists. It was a place, it was a city of refuge. It was a place where you were going to die, rightfully so. And you, if you could just run, if you could just get to this one place, the doors would slam behind you and say, no. All of the people who were rightfully coming after you, said, no, you can deal with them, but you can't deal with them in here. This is, this is a safe place. It's a refuge. It's a refuge, it's a safe place. He said he wanted to make sure and show you by the unchar- unchangeable character of his nature, and he cannot lie, who those who, are, who have fled for ret- refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope that is set before us. Hold on. I know you're flee- you've, you've been fleeing. You, you need to run to the Lord. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and they're safe. The Lord is the place of refuge. You're running. Run to the Lord. And he wants to give you strong encouragement, the God of the universe, about this, t- t- to hold fast. Don't give up. Don't give up. I know some of you are right on the edge. And life's been hitting you one right after the other. And it's been beating you. And you feel like you're laying on the ground. And you're in a puddle of your own blood. And you're spitting out teeth. And it's just beating you and beating you and beating you. And God's like, hold on. Hold on. You're like, I don't understand it, God. I don't understand it. How can you let this happen to me? And God's like, I know you don't understand it. But what you don't understand is, is that I know the plans that I have for you. To bless you. To keep you. All those corny verses that people quote. No weapon formed against you will stand. That's true. But that's true for Jesus Christ. And it's true for you in the Lord Jesus Christ. That is true. That nothing that this world can bring against you can actually do damage to you when the Lord Jesus Christ is on your side. It'll feel like it. What is the the bottom line of it, though? We have this. As a sure and steadfast anchor. Just hold on, man. I promise I'm working. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. How many of you today need to be reminded of the sure and steadfast anchor of the soul? How many? I know I do. You know what an anchor does? An anchor holds down massive ships so that they don't just float away into the abyss. And they don't get shipwrecked and sunk and, and you never find them anymore. How many of you feel like that you're, that's where you are? And it may be that you don't need an anchor. It may be, it may be that you need the one who can walk on the water, who can come on out to you and reach down where you've already sunk and pull you up and give you CPR and raise your dead bones to life. It may be that you've never known the Lord Jesus Christ who is the resurrection and the life. It may be that you need life. But some of you feel like that your anchor, that your chain is going to break any second. Any second now. 
I don't know. How many of you asked this question before? I don't know. I know Jesus did a lot. I know he died on the cross. I know, but I just don't know how he could put up with somebody like me. I just don't know, but you, Brian, you don't know the things I've done. Yes, I love Jesus. Yes, I repented. I hope I'm saved, but I don't know if he can forgive me for this one. I've really messed up this time. You see, praise God that your obedience is not the steadfast anchor. Now, you need to repent to be sure, and I do too. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where only one can go only one can go behind the curtain there's only one that can go behind the curtain behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf having become a high priest forever how long people how long after the order of Melchizedek, now one last thing I want to point out. Jesus Christ is the only one that could go in. He was the only one that could go in, rightfully so. He was the high priest. He was the precursor to Melchizedek. Melchizedek was a copy of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was the fulfillment. Melchizedek was the foreshadow. Jesus Christ actually is eternal, not having a beginning and not having an end. But watch this. Matt is the man. His, he has fingers of iron. Where Jesus has gone as a forerunner. Forerunner. What does forerunner necessarily lead us to believe? Huh? What? There's another runner. He's the first. Who else can go behind the curtain? All who have been born again in the Lord Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, for those who have been born again in Jesus Christ, the curtain is gone. I need to do a, another one on, one day on the tabernacle. The Bible says in Ephesians that Jesus Christ took the curtain and he grabbed it with his massive man hands and he grabbed it from the top and he said, Shush! poof, the curtain was gone. And we in Christ stand in the glory of God. And in Hebrews, we already read it, it says, with confidence, you boldly enter into the throne room of grace. You know where the throne is. You know where the grace is. It's in the Holy of Holies, which we can only come through through Christ. Christ Jesus is a steadfast anchor. As they play this last song, man, Jesus is amazing. If you don't know him, get to know him. Because if you don't, you're going to die. And if you die without Christ, you die indeed. But if you come to him, I promise you'll live life. Because all who are in Christ, all who are in Christ have life. He who has the Son has been set free. Jesus came so that you might live. So live today and live free. Come and give everything to him.